friends, congratulations is in order. Yes, they are. We have a new engaged couple. A one, a two, and a three. Wow, look at this. This is like marriage row here. Wow. This is like wedding row. Man. This must be a sign. There's got to be some prophecy here somehow. Yeah, more babies coming. Man, alive. We're going to need to expand that nursery. I can tell you that. Slow it down. Ooh, man. Okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started because by my little clock here, I see it's 9.15. So let's go ahead and pray and then we'll go ahead and get started here. Well, Father, we're grateful for the counsel that we receive in your word. And Lord, we know, according to the scriptures, that each one of us as believers is called to encourage, to edify, to admonish our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, constructively for the benefit of the kingdom, for their spiritual growth, and Lord, also for ourselves as we look inward to examine our own lives. And I pray today that this would be an insightful message. I pray that you would... Lord, uh, speak to us through your word and to counsel us as the master counselor on important issues that we face every day in life. And Lord, that we would be well equipped, not only theologically, but also in our ability to convey practical wisdom that comes from your word. And again, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. I thank you for each one here and just your goodness to us, Lord. May we understand this issue of handling our past well, and may we learn and glean practical truth, Lord, so that we can assist and encourage others in this vital area of life. And we pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Okay, well, today's subject is, as you have seen in your handouts, and I hope everybody has a handout, right? Uh, How to handle the past biblically, and this is what we want to look at today. Um, You know, this is something we don't often think about, or perhaps we don't think about enough. And at first glance, you know, you may ask, well, why would we study this? How many times have we heard people say in a practical sense, well, the past is in the past, and you know, well, just let's move on. And, And actually, there's some biblical wisdom in that. But I want to suggest that our pasts have more of an influence on us than sometimes we may imagine. Um, Many of us perhaps have grown up in um, difficult home situations. Many of us have traumas from our past that uh, may continue to haunt us. Um, All of us are affected by the past in some way or another. And I'm sure if I were to go around this morning and say, okay, what, uh, what was the worst day of your life? Or what, are some, or what was the best day of your life? Or what are some of the things that stand out to you? Most of you would probably be able to come up with some key events in your past that really affected you in one way or another. It might have affected you in a very good way. It may have affected you in a negative way. And if we're not understanding how to handle the past... The problem is, is that those things that happened to us in the past that were perhaps negative um, can, can, be, can be held inside of us, and we can carry those things around like a ball and chain. And I know many people who are destroyed in the present because they have never learned how to handle their past. And they've never learned how to appropriate things from the past. And this can be a very serious issue. And uh, we know that we're new creatures in Christ. We know that we are no longer under the condemnation of sin. Uh, As we're told in Romans 8.1, we understand that um, we have all the resources we need in Christ. But it's, it's one thing to have those resources. It's another thing to know how to use those resources. Or how to appropriate them perhaps to our individual situation. So we want to talk about this. Um... Now let's talk, first of all, in a very positive way. First of all, biblical concepts regarding the past. And everybody, can you see this okay? First of all, the past can be a great benefit to us. um, Because first of all, notice it can help us to face challenges with strength and confidence. And if we go to 1 Samuel 17, um, 
And let's just turn there real quickly. We see that this is a familiar story, and I'm not going to read it all, but it's the story of David and Goliath. And, um, you know, when Goliath challenged, Goliath was a, a, a giant, uh, he was a warrior with the Philistines, and he taunted Israel, and he taunted uh, the armies of the living God, he taunted God himself, and of course we know that David rose up, he accepted the challenge, and why did David accept the challenge? Now, you may not have read this story in a while, but most of you are familiar with the story, hopefully, of David and Goliath. Why did David accept the challenge? Nobody else in Israel accepted the challenge that, that the Philistines threw out to fight Goliath. Why did David do that? What was his motive? Does anybody, anybody recall that? Wasn't he upset that he was blaspheming the name of God? Absolutely, for sure. And I think that was one of the primary motives, Jeremy, that he was blaspheming the name of God. And David became very righteously indignated about that. What put him over the edge? What caused him to go out there with his little slingshot? Which would have been kind of crazy when you think about it. Unless you were as good as he was. He, what did he, what, where was his faith? He in the yeah, he trusted in the Lord. Absolutely. He trusted that God would see this through. And, you know, to us in this day and age, that sounds a little crazy. And obviously probably sounded very crazy to a lot of the warriors with David because they were not about ready to go out and face Goliath. Um, certainly they would have considered that to be suicide. And here's my point. Even when we are facing or have faced situations in the past that seemed absolutely impossible or seemed so daunting that we may not have even wanted to consider us, when we consider who we are in Christ and what we have, what we see is in the faith right now, we have every resource we need to overcome anything with strength and confidence. And here's what I'm saying. There is nothing right now that is occurring or will occur in your life that God hasn't given you a sufficiency of grace to overcome. Okay? We are never left as believers without resources in Christ. And this is something that we learn. You know, I hear Christians all the time say this to me. Well, you don't understand my past, Pastor. You just don't understand where I've come from. And I can say this. Look, I may not understand where you've come from. But I know where you are now, and I know where you can go with this. And I know that you don't have to be defeated. You know, like many of you, I'm sure, I grew up in a very, very difficult home life. I did not grow up in a Christian home. Anybody with me on that one? Anybody? Yeah. I did not grow up with believing parents. Consider and think about just as far away from Christianity as you can get, and that's what I grew up with. And I had a very difficult childhood with my dad, but you know what? When I came to Christ, I never felt like I was condemned to have to be under that influence, to have to be under that weight, to have to be under that depression, that ceiling, because as a new creature in Christ, I thought, I don't have to live this way. I don't have to be like this. I can be who God wants me to be. And that was a great strength and confidence to me as I began to learn the Word. So the great confidence about our past is, you know what? There's nothing in the past that can so waylay me that I can't be as intimate with Christ as I need to be. There's nothing in my past that can rob me of my joy today. And that's a great truth. And understand that joy doesn't mean that we're always happy in the sense of the worldly happiness, but our joy, that deep-seated understanding that in Christ, there's nothing that can throw me off the horse. There's nothing that can take away that inner peace, and that contentment that I have in Christ. So, and of course we see in 1 Samuel 17 that that story ended well, obviously for David. And the point of the story is not to go out and buy a slingshot after this class and, and practice, but to know that, you know, as we, as we put faith in the true and living God, God's resources are sufficient for us. Okay, <clears throat> secondly... And comment, yes. Comment? So, handling the past 
help you become a pastor? Uh, <laughs> strike that from the record here. Yes, that's right. Yes, it helped me to become a pastor. And now I'm a future, right? I don't know what I am. I can see this is going downhill quickly here. Okay, well, someone read Job 2.10. This is a very familiar verse. I, in fact, I preached on this one verse. But also our past helps us to handle trials, right? Because... We all have trials. That's never going to go away. We've had them in the past. We have them now. And I hate to inform you of this. Even after you lovebirds get married, you're going to have trials in the future. Trust me about this. So, Job 2.10. Job 2.10. Who has it? Okay, Debbie, thank you. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? Okay, you'll remember that Job had the worst day of anybody that I've ever read about. Okay, he lost his health, he lost his wealth, he lost his livestock, he lost his servants, and worse off, he lost his family. That's a bad day. Um, and Job's wife was so undone, she was so probably just crushed with paralyzing grief that she said, why don't you just curse God and die? Why don't you just get this over with? It would be better that we were banished from the face of the earth. Just curse God and die, I can't handle this. And Job, with the mind of Christ, said, should we expect goodness from the Lord, but not adversity? One of the things that helps us about our past is to say, you know, all the adversity that I went through, all of the difficulties that I might have had, God works all things together for the good, right? And you know what? The harder sometimes our lives have been in the past, the better we handle the present. I can tell you that when I began ministry 27 years ago, I could have never handled the things routinely back then that I'm handling now. And why is that? Because God has strengthened me. He has matured me. He has helped me through trials. And, and as we go through these things, we're strengthened. Um, you know, it's the same thing as the writer to the Hebrews said when he talked about Jesus. And he said, look, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with us, right? Why is it that we have such confidence in Christ? Because look at what Jesus went through. And, and we know that, again, his grace is sufficient. So, you know, when we think back, and isn't it amazing what strength we get when we think back to trials we've endured in the, in the past, and we see how God has brought us through. I don't know about you, but I get great comfort out of that because I know the God who brought me through that can bring me through this. And that's such a comfort, knowing that, you know, we count it all joy, right, James, when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance? You know, so we never want to look at our trials as though God is, is sarcastic or sadistic or he's trying to hurt us, but, you know, he strengthens us through these things. And the past difficulties can make us sweeter in the present. Isn't it true? So that's a, a, a great truth. Yes, I'm sorry, go ahead. I remember the exact quote, but I read this years ago when I was Yes. Is a gentle hand. Is, is his gentle hand. Yes. Right. So even though it hurts so much to yeah. go through that, he is gentle. And that's so Absolutely. whatever I, it feels like. Yeah. Really, it feels like he's mad at you. Yeah. But it's actually a loving father. You know, that's a great point. And one of my favorite verses that speaks right to that issue is the Bible says that a bruised reed yes. you will not crush. Yeah. In other words, it, it, it's like God holds us in his hand, you know. He knows our infirmities, he knows our weaknesses, and a bruised reed he will not crush. And I think that plays right into exactly what you're saying, you know. And it's such, it's such comfort. Um, because we know that God wants our good. He does work all things together for the good. Not all things are good. But he works all things together for the good and for our benefit. And, you know, nobody likes to go through trials. But when a child gets spanked for wanting to touch the stove, when he gets older, he realizes what love was behind that spanking. You know, but we don't always realize it at the time. But we have to know this by faith. We have to understand that by faith, God is working for our good. And there are many times that I'm in the midst of trials and I have not a clue what God's doing. Any of you in that situation? Like, I, like the water pipe? That's exactly right. Like when the water pipe burst, you know, and I told Ron, he goes, well, it was 1045 bucks, And he's holding this little pipe with a pinhole in it and it cost us over a grand. And Ron says, you know, Ron is so great. He's so much nicer than me. I, I keep telling him. 
It's a great guy. But he says, yeah, but isn't it great that we got this fixed? And now we're, you know, he always added, adds the levity to it. And I said, yeah, you know what? You're right about that. We should be thanking the Lord that we found it. We were able to get it fixed. And, you know, and we didn't have to dig up half the parking lot, right? God could have said, oh, you think this is bad? I'm going to get a pipe right in the middle of your sanctuary break, and then you can see how that goes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I had the gift of hostility. He saw the blessing in it, and I saw the pain in it. But you know what? He, he was right. He was right. Okay, so here's another thing. I love this too, that our past helps us to forgive. You know, isn't it true that when we think of our past, <coughs> excuse me, whether we, it, Ryan, do you have a sheet? Do you have a, oh, good. We, we know there are times in our past where we have both needed to ask forgiveness and we've needed someone to forgive us, right? Or, or that we have needed to have someone ask our forgiveness. I mean, we've, we've been in both of those situations, every one of us. And, you know, from Matthew 18, and I'm not going to go there because you guys are probably familiar with this, the great uh, uh, chapter on church discipline and how we're to handle offenses with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we know that um, when we think of, about the past, it, it helps us to forgive when we follow the biblical mandates. Um, forgiveness in the faith is possible where outside of the faith it would probably never happen. And one of the things, and I think this is one of the crowning evidences of a mature believer. I think one of the hardest things to master in the Christian faith is forgiveness. That's a tough one. And I think if we were honest with ourselves, um, we would agree with that because we have a sense in us of wanting justice, of wanting fairness, of wanting restitution for people that hurt us. The problem is in our sin nature, we want to do that. Right? It's like, God, you stay over here. And I'm going to handle this. And that's our propensity as a fallen sinful creature. But God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and I will repay, right? And so, you know, when we can understand uh, from our past the times that we've needed forgiveness, and, and the biggest thing for me in the past is understanding my salvation. Let me tell you what stops me dead in the tr my tracks. No one could ever offend me more than I offended God. No way. And when I think of the forgiveness that Christ offered me, I cannot in good conscience lift my head to the throne of grace and say, but I'm justified in holding it against them. Now, that doesn't mean we stick our head in the sand and we let people run all over us or that we tolerate injustice. What are we to do if someone offends us? What are we to do? Amen. Thank you, Debbie. We're to confront in love. And if that doesn't work, we're to take two or three with us, right? And if that doesn't work, then what are we to do? To tell it to the church, right? So we have a means by which to carry through. We're not saying that we should just be ignorant and, and excuse offenses for no reason. We have a way to handle these, but we're always to do it in love, and we're to do it in a way that's going to be honoring to the Lord, realizing that we too are sinners, right? So it helps us to forgive. Notice also that it helps us to apply truth. Romans 12.1. Can somebody read that? Gotcha. Thank you. And if you guys see any of the verses, you can look them up ahead too. So we'll save time. Yeah, go Therefore, ahead. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Okay. Now... When we think about how our past life was lived, what does this verse tell us in a practical sense about today? What does it tell us? To be living, um, to be living life as uh, a single act of worship. Okay. To presenting our, like everything that we're doing is some, is some act of worship. I like that. I'm going to go with that one because that's that's really hits the nail on the head. And here's the here's the deal. In our past, it's amazing how many Christians come to saving faith and they want to live like they lived when they were pagans, only put a little Christian spin on it. And then they wonder why life is frustrating or why it's not what it should be. When we come to Christ, 
When I came to Christ, I realized that, you know what, I knew how I was living. I didn't want to live like that anymore. You know, there was no contentment in that. There was no satisfaction in that. If we don't have the tenacity to realize we're new creatures in Christ and to let go of the way we were living, again, we're not going to get the benefit of our Christian faith. It's like this. You can't have one foot on the pier and one foot in a boat, right? Eventually, you've got to jump into one or the other. And as believers, we need to get off the pier and into the boat. And oftentimes, why does our past so hinder us? Why does it so trip us up? Because we are not living as new creatures in Christ. This is what we're going to be talking about in the morning service today. And as we begin looking at the practical application of Paul saying, therefore, now that you're in Christ, and he goes through, don't be angry. There's a simple thing. Don't lie. We're going to spend all morning on those two things. We shouldn't be living the way we were in the past. If we try to live that way, then we're going to be a reproach to the name of Christ. We're going to have a terrible testimony. And we are not going to be applying the truth of who we really are. We need to wear the clothes now of who we really are. We're, we're in Christ. We're not in the world. So applying truth. How about helping us to repent? Revelation 2.5. Anybody have that? Okay, by the way, don't ever say revelations. There is no book of revelations. It's revelation. Okay? Thank you. Lots of people. Oh, Revelation 6. Uh, no, 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 no. You can't say 4th John. No, you can't say 4th. Well, you could. Maybe John wrote another letter. We don't know. Okay, go ahead. Uh, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Okay, so who, what church are we talking about here? The seven churches in Revelation. What are we talking about? Ephesus. Ephesus. Remember Ephesus? What was the great thing about Ephesus? They were what? Pardon? I'm sorry, I said Artemidius. The temple? I'm sorry. Oh yeah, right, right. I was I was asking what was the strength of the church at Ephesus? They were faithful. They were very faithful to what? To Orthodox. Yes, thank you. To the word. That's right, Norm, exactly. They were Orthodox. They held up the word. They did church discipline. On the outside, the church looked fantastic. They were buttoned up theologically. They had their act together. They were well-grounded. No, nothing wrong. But the Bible says they had left their first love, right? They had become so orthodox that they became cold in their orthodoxy, and they weren't showing the love of Christ. They had left Christ behind in trying to preach the word. Now, here again, as we think about our past life, and we think about the need not only to have, this is why we put in the bulletin that our goal is to present every believer complete in Christ in the sense that we want them to understand sound doctrine and fervent love. Okay, Those things should never be separated. Our past and the way we used to live can help us to assess how are we doing in that. You know, are we, are we showing the love of Christ as I learn the word, as I'm starting to understand truth, and I'm now starting to understand I need to apply this truth now we have a standard by which, an objective standard by which to determine how well are we doing here? How well are we doing? And I don't know about you, but I'm assessing myself all the time. And the longer you're a believer, the closer you get to Christ, the more of the sin in your own life you're going to see. The, the more I'm a Christian, the, the worse I, I feel about myself. Because I begin to see myself more and more for what I really am. Now again, I don't want to make that into a negative, because that can be a positive. But that's how it is. And it helps us to repent of those things that we're not doing right. Okay. Next, notice, it helps us minister to others and give hope. 1 Timothy 1, 13-17. Anybody have that? You, you were talking about assessing yourself. Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm going too fast. Would that reflect uh, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith? Test yourself? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and, and Paul said, you know, we're to examine ourselves all the time. And, and with, with believers, I don't think it's so much that we're constantly examining ourselves to see if we're in the faith, all, as much as we're examining ourselves to see how we're living the faith. However, 
That admonition was very important because in Paul's day, there were many who claimed the faith but weren't living in the faith. For example, the Judaizers, remember in Romans 3 and 4, and, and you had the Nicolaitans, and you had a, many kind of, there, there was some heretical teaching going on, so certainly that's a, a, a valid point. Pastor yes? I really admire Edward's I know it. Yeah. Yeah, if you read Jonathan Edwards' resolution resolve to, yeah. it's hard to read. The hardest book you can I also listen to it. I know it's good. I mean, it's not hard to read in that it's hard to read. It's hard to read. <laughs> it's hard to read because the knife goes in. That that's what I the, the the book that's most convicted outside of the scriptures, the book that did me in most was John Owen's The Mortification of Sin. I could hardly get through a page of that book without feeling like I needed to prostrate myself before the Lord and just absolutely just shrivel up and do something. Um, I don't know, that, that, but that's, that's true. But that's, see, that's the kind of thing that the Bible does. It, it helps us to see ourselves as we really are. And even though that can be painful at times, it's necessary. Because it does. It brings you to the gospel. It brings you back to where God wants us to be, which is not where we think we should be at times. And so it's, it's, that's a great point. You know, that's a, and Jonathan Edwards, yeah, his resolutions, um, amazing. You know, he was one of the few guys that did sermons he read word for word, and yet he just read his notes word for word. And yet he just floored people. I mean... Not many guys can do that and be as powerful as Jonathan Edwards. All right, where am I here? Okay, helps to minister to others and give hope. 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 13 through 17. Anybody have that one? Okay, thank you. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal and invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Thank you, and we're singing that immortal and visible today under Ryan's great direction. Um, okay, what I love about this is that Paul called himself the chief of sinners. And here's the encouragement that I get out of this. When we're in a current situation here, and we feel hopeless, all we have to do is think to the past to see how much hope God has really given us. How we got from where we were to where we are, and we got there through no effort of our own. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were called through irresistible grace. God did this work of salvation in us. And you know, for those that are hurting, for those that are suffering, for those that feel like they can't take another step, for those that don't want to wake up tomorrow, let me tell you what, that verse, those verses are some of the greatest verses to counsel with for those that may be discouraged that way. Because Paul himself says, look what I was. Look where I've come from. Look where I am now. You know, and, um, you know, we're never, one of the greatest words in the Bible to me is hope. We are never beyond hope when we have the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we see this in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 10, where the writer talks about the hope that we have in Christ. We're never without hope. And we don't ever, as a believer, it's an oxymoron to say that I'm a believer in Jesus, but I have no hope. Those two things are incompatible. If we're in Christ, we always have hope. Okay. So now what I want to do is kind of go to the board and I want to get a little more practical on what are we going to do. And I'm going to try to turn this thing. Well, I guess I don't need to turn it off. Um, if you can write this chart somewhere um, in your, um, on your notes, you can write it on the back page or anywhere you want. All right. 
Notice that I made a chart here. And we're going to be talking about four scenarios concerning your past that I think are very important. And you'll notice that I labeled these box one, box two, three, and four. And we're going to look first of all at when we think of our past, how do we handle it when you have an innocent past? In other words, things may have happened that you had no control over, that you had didn't do anything wrong, and you handled it well. What does that look like? Then we're going to look at maybe you had an innocent past. In other words, something happened, that, again, beyond your control, nothing that you could do anything about, but you didn't handle it so well. You handled it poorly. And then we're going to talk about if what occurred in your past, you were guilty. Not innocent, but guilty. But you handled it well. You had a guilty past. How do we handle that well? And then, if we had a guilty past and we handled that poorly, okay? So pretty simple chart, right? Everybody get what's going on here? So this is your response here. This is what occurred, innocent, guilty, and then we're gonna try to fill these in. I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna write in, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you what to write in here for the sake of time. Maybe I'll try to write it in. Um, and we'll see how far we get. And can someone tell me when it gets to be, uh, what are we at, 9.46 here? When it gets to be like 5 or 10 after, 10 after 10, 10 after 10. All right, so let's look at this. First of all, our innocent past that we handled well. Sometimes we have, can everybody see this? Authentic suffering, okay? In other words, our past has hurt us, it's caused some trauma, but we were innocent in it. We had, we had nothing that we did to necessarily cause it, um, and so we suffered something in the past. And listen, this can be a very difficult thing, because even when we handle our innocent past well, it can mean that we still carry some scars with us. I mean, all of us have had things done to us in the past that are hurtful, would you agree? Can, can any of us not think of something hurtful from our past? <clears throat> so, but let's look at this, and let's say that we handled it well. The first thing that's very important, and we'll get this from Psalm 73, is to acknowledge what happened, okay? Here's what I'm saying. We never want to stick our head in the sand or counsel anybody to say, well, just forget about it, you know, just, just you know, just pretend it didn't happen. Life happens. When God says that I'll cast your sins as far as the east is from the west and remember them no more, what is God saying? Is he going to say that he's going to have amnesia from now on? No, what is he saying? He's not going to hold it against you. He chooses not to hold it against you. It's not that he forgets. It's just that he chooses not to hold it against you. And so the same kind of idea comes here under authentic... <coughs> Um, suffering. Now, when you suffer and when you handle it well, it doesn't mean that in this particular box that you're going to be able to do anything about it. There are some circumstances of our past that we can't change and we can't fix. Amen? So what does it look like when we handle it well? And the first thing is, is that we cry out to God, okay? In other words, we take it to the Lord. And we get this principle, and I'm going to write down Psalm 61, and you can chase these down on your own, okay? But we cry out to the Lord. In other words, what we're doing here is we're acknowledging that it is the Lord himself who can give us that peace that passes all understanding regarding our past. Now, here's another thing I want you to keep in mind as we go through this. I realize that I'm, in a sense right now, teaching you but this is the process that you need to go through when you're dealing with somebody else, because that's what we're talking about here, right? Biblical counseling issues. So if you have someone that's coming to you that's struggling with the past, this is the, this is the process that you want to take them through. Help them to see this. And again, you can chase down these uh, uh, psalms on your own. And the other thing that you want to do here is you want to seek comfort in God's Word. We can never divorce ourselves from the Word of God, okay? It is the Word of God that speaks to our hearts, okay? And, and here's what you want to look at. Take them to 2 Corinthians 
chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. So we see here that when someone is going to handle their past, they're innocent, they're handling it well, this isn't about them, this is about finding their ultimate comfort in God. He is our strength, He is our salvation, and you want them to have their contentment in God. Now why is this important? Because we can have an innocent past, we didn't cause a problem, we were in a circumstance we couldn't control, and we handled it very well. But the problem that always comes in is in letting it go. Now we are in one sense to let the past go. If the past is causing disruption in our present life, if it's causing us to be obsessed and playing the tape over and over again in our mind of what happened, I'm dealing with a counselee right now, and I'm not going to mention names, who was sexually abused in Sunday school years ago as a child. And let me tell you, this is a, an incredible trauma for this individual, and rightly so. This person was innocent. Obviously, this person handled it well because they were young and really hadn't come to grips with it, but as this individual got older and began to realize what had happened, this became a major, and is a major trauma in this individual's life, and it's at the point where there's nothing she can change about it, okay? There's nothing to change. It happened years ago, those people are gone, there's untraceable, I think one has even passed away, but she's left with the, the pain of what happened. Now, let me suggest this, and when you counsel people, you can talk to them, you're blue in the face about, oh, you should feel better about this, and you can get your psychoanalysis, that's not going to take you very far. Only God can comfort in a case like this. And we have to understand that God does work all things together for good, and even in tragedies and pain, remember what Job said, shall we accept goodness from the Lord, but not adversity. So when you're counseling somebody in a case like this, where they're in an innocent past, they handled it well, they didn't really do anything wrong, we've got to take them to the Word. We've got to drive them back to the Word. Any questions on this particular box? Right would you, when you say forgive the past, would you apply, uh, I do not consider it that I have made of my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forth. Absolutely. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Philippians. Yeah, that, that's a great... That would absolutely apply there, Norm. That's, in fact, I appreciate that verse. Those verses are very good. You could definitely add those to this. That would be great counsel. Lots of places in the Word we could go, but that's a particularly good one. Pastor Jeff, something I appreciate yes. about, especially about the Psalms, is that oftentimes people are left without the proper words to express their yeah. feelings. Mm -hmm. And I, in my own life personally, have used the Psalms in, oh, yeah. in order to use, just to use it as, as an Absolutely. It helped me work through what I was feeling. Oh, you know, that's so true. And you know what, another thing, you know, when you think about the Psalms, like I particularly love the Psalms that David wrote when he was in such grief lamenting, he was being chased by Saul, he feared for his life, he, he had no one to depend upon but the Lord, and some of the writing done there is just so rich. So the Psalms become such a comfort, don't they, especially in times of trial, and the Psalms are just, just incredibly Encouraging. God knows us more than Oh, he really, like does. He, re he really does. He really does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he really does. <coughs> yes. When you say person obsessing over the past, playing the tape over and over, they have to let it go, does that mean that they need to have mental fortitude to try to not think about it? Or that they need to not hold the offense against the person? Or that they need to. How does that yeah, that's work? a great question, Ryan. And what it means is, it isn't so much implying that we're going to forget it, because that's just not realistic. But what it means is, is that when we appropriate what happened in our past, by understanding who we are now in Christ, we can let it go in the sense of having that peace of God that passes all understanding, so that we're not obsessing over it, we're not allowing it to hinder us in the present, we're not allowing it to affect our faith in Christ. 
And, Ryan, here's an important part of this, that we actually learn to see the tragedies and difficulties in our life as, as something that can be beneficial for us now. You know, I grew up, for example, with, with, with an alcoholic father, and i got to tell you, that was not a lot of fun growing up. But you know what? God used that in my life to strengthen me in a lot of ways, and I actually, I don't think about it, and my dad, by the way, came to Saving Faith, which is incredible. But um, I, I don't hold the bitterness, I don't hold the anger, the obsession, and I see that, okay, God, you use this, you help me in my own character to see what was important. So it's not so much I forget, oh, I mean, you know, as much as you have that peace of God. Pastor, yeah, yes. one of the verses that I often like to say to myself if I keep replaying something in my mind, yeah. because I'm, putting, I'm going back through the trauma again. Yes. I'm reliving the You're pain again. So um, from Proverbs 4, 23, it says, keep your heart with all diligence, oh, for, yeah. for from it flows the springs of life. Oh, amen. So Write that one down. That's a great verse. And so, yeah. like, you know, just like, no, this is not helping me live no, it isn't. trauma. No. It's not guarding my no, heart. No, it isn't. It's bringing out. Yep. And, and don't, isn't it true in our sinful nature, we have a propensity to play the tape over and over? Well, I'm going to say this, or I should have done that, or, you know, and that is so destructive because it's it's self destructive. It doesn't go anywhere. There's nothing good that's going to come out of that at all. Um, to to um, answer. Ryan had to say, uh, isn't it the principle that we're supposed to put off something and put, put on something yeah. else? Absolutely. So something like we're supposed to bring every thought captive. Yes. So when those thoughts happen, we just can't, we cannot just say, well, I need not to think about that. Right. Exactly. We've got to go and say, what will I think about? Absolutely. Yeah, we have to be determined in our mind. You know, that's the point of Romans 12, right? You know, don't be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed metamorpho in the Greek by the renewing of your mind. And that, that's a conscious effort. And I think it ties into with what Sabrina said because, you know, we if we leave our minds undisciplined, we have a tendency to do exactly that. Is to play the tape over and over again, to, to, to think through it in, in the flesh, and God is way out here. And again, that is more than anything very self-destructive. It doesn't help. Um, and also what, what Brian asked, um, it also depends on the situation in terms of what you mean by letting it go. It could be unforgiveness that you need to, to let it go, you need yeah. to forgive them. It could be injustice. It could be a number of things in which you need to preach truth to your brain, to your Absolutely, soul. yes. And that's another way of letting right. it go. I don't know about you, I have to preach to myself all the time. <laughs> Seriously. And, and in case you guys don't realize this, you know, when I get up there on Sunday morning behind that holy desk to preach, there are days it's brutal for me because I think, you know, I'm guilty of this. You know, I'm, I'm preaching the word. And I realize that God has asked me to do that, but I have to be preaching with a constant attitude of repentance. So if you think I'm up there like some ivory tower pastor, that, you know, well, this is all for you guys. And I have to get in the woodshed five days ahead of you and, and get smacked around <laughs> before I even get there. At least you only have to endure it for like 50 minutes. I got to endure it all week. You know? So by the time I'm up there, man, I've been whipped around pretty good, let me tell you. Then I look at Pete and I think, oh, that's so bad. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, Pete. Strike that from the record. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you were saying, like, uh, playing the tape. I'm very good at editing the tape. Oh, yes, editing the tape. Yeah, that's another thing, right. Add some scenes in there and delete some. And, yeah. Okay. There you go. Stretch it Peter name. Yeah, I'm going to stretch that out. Pete, I love you. You're a great Stop guy. Repeat this. Yeah. Listen, anything that you guys may be guilty of, I'm probably doubly guilty of. So who are we kidding, right? I mean, you know. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Let's say that you had an innocent past. Something happened. You had no control over it. Um, but you handled this poorly. Okay? You didn't respond in a way that you should have. And... And this could be even the case in our Christian life, amen, right? I mean, isn't this a possibility here? I mean, all these things. Okay, so what's the first thing that we want to counsel in a case like that? First of all, this calls for a very humble analysis. Let me say this. When you're in Christ, when you're in Christ, you have to be an adult. Okay? 
Living the faith effectively is not for children in the sense of really looking at ourselves. And we always have to be humble enough to be able to look inside. One of the marks of an immature Christian is, is pride. It's the inability that, or that when they hear constructive criticism, they don't want any part of it. Don't tell me. Don't show me. We have to say, okay, look. Now, there have been times that I have been innocent about something, but I've handled it very poorly. For example, you can be accused of something that you're innocent of, but you can blast somebody, right? Oh, you jerk, I didn't do that. Who do you think you are? You know, I mean, we all understand that we can handle something poorly, even though we're not to blame. Okay, so the first thing that we want to ask when we analyze this is did you return evil for evil? Did you return evil for evil? So is that actually in, in the box like uh, innocent poorly or is yes. it a continuation? Of no, it's, it's innocent poorly. Okay. We're in the second box now. And this would be Romans 12, 14 through 21. Can anybody read that? I know I'm writing. I don't know why I always write so small. Everybody see that okay? I couldn't see it if I was sitting where feet was. I can't even see my music, and I'm only about three feet away. <laughs> okay, so the first thing, did you return evil for evil? If you're counseling somebody and that is the case, and oftentimes that is the case, then what do we how would we counsel them further? What would we counsel them if we were speaking with someone and yeah, you know what, I was accused of this, and let's say they're innocent, but they really blasted somebody, what what would we say? I might mention the moat and the beam because yeah. the, the log and the moat before you take the beam out of your yeah. Yeah. Because they're, they might be innocent, but before they can lovingly confront with the end goal of restitution, they need to make sure that they are in the correct place. Yeah. yeah. Right, that's right. And, and, and what I want you to see, and it goes along exactly with what you said, first of all, they need to ask forgiveness for this. Now you may say, but they were innocent and they were accused. That doesn't let us off the hook. Right? Matthew 18 is very clear about this. If you return evil for evil, then as much as it depends on you, your responsibility is to ask forgiveness. And say, you know what, I responded very poorly to you and I want to ask your forgiveness. My words were harsh or my actions were harsh, whatever the case may be. And again, Ryan, it goes along, first of all, this is where the humble analysis, we have to look inside first. And that's where we take the log out of our own eye before we take the speck out of our brother's eye, right? Our brother may be wrong and there may be a speck there. But we got to make sure there's no log in our own eye. So it does require that we would ask them to um, ask forgiveness. Also, we have to ask this very deadly. Did this cause you to develop bitterness? Did it cause you to develop bitterness? What's the difference? Well, we're going to learn this in, in, in church today, but... Is anger righteous at times? Yeah. The Bible says be angry, but don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? What's the difference between anger and bitterness? Is bitterness righteous? Ever? No. Never. Never. Okay, what's the difference? Bitterness is unresolved. Amen. And it's internal. Amen. And it's under the surface, usually. Right. Stop there, Ryan, because you hit it on the head. Bitterness is unresolved anger. It's, it's where we take the anger, and instead of dealing with it in a godly way, we let it seed. We let it sit in our souls, and we hold it there. And we hold that resentment, and we hold that offense, and we hold that, that anger without dealing with it in a godly way. And anger unresolved will always lead to bitterness in one form or another. Even in that anger that's unresolved probably has a root of selfishness or pride. Absolutely. So we have to be very careful about because this is what typically when I'm dealing with this situation, it's already gotten here. Okay? Now let me ask this question. How do we reverse the process? 
And by the way, let me give you these verses before we answer that. Ruth, write these down. Ruth uh, 1, 20 and 21. And then all of Ephesians 4, okay? So those are the verses. Okay, now how, how would we reverse the process here? What do we do when we're dealing with someone who is bitter? Put off, put on. Okay, yeah, that's right. Put off, put on. How do we do that in a practical sense? I mean, I'm coming to you and I'm saying, yeah, you know, this guy really worked me over and I'm angry and I'm going to stay that way. What are you going to say to that? This is just a guess, but yeah. don't they need to deal with their sin against God first? Okay. Absolutely. Okay, right. before anything else. Right. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will let That's that they have to deal with their own sin first. Right. Let me tell you what. Every sinful time we act poorly, write this down. It's always a heart issue. Put that in neon in your we're always first dealing with a heart issue. That's exactly right. You will never get this person right with someone else until you get them right before God. It's always a hard issue. And that's why if we start to counsel and we say, oh, well, you know, you, you just need to start loving that brother and you need to start, you can say that till you're blue in the face and you're not going to get very far. Because the minute they walk out of your office or out of your presence, that's not going to be removed. Yes? Okay, we can have scars from our past, yeah. but we usually come through our attitude. What is our countenance? What is our walk with Christ looking like? I know many believers that have suffered horrible atrocities that walk with this, the gentleness and the love of Christ. When I was in China, and we heard the testimony of a man who spent over 16 years in prison, was put before a firing squad, ready to be shot when they commuted his sentence, and the love of Christ, he came and spoke of his love for Christ, that's how you know. It's a heart issue. We look at the heart, because if the heart doesn't change here, then I guarantee you, you're not going to get anywhere. You can give the greatest counsel in the world. It can't start relationally with someone else before this gets right. Yes? So then what does right anger look like? We're going to get there. Oh. In fact, we're going to get there in the, in the worship service today, okay? I'm going to really go through this big time. Okay, so... Thanks for asking that question, Robert. I'm not giving away my message. Hey, you're tracking, man. You're tracking, man. Like, we are on the same page. Gail says, you're such a nerd. You know, she says I'm weird, and I asked her, I said, do you know, seriously, do you really think I'm weird? And she said, yeah. yeah well, she said, I love you, but you're weird. It's kind of very depressing. You know, to think I love you, but you're weird. Were you speechless afterwards? No, I knew she was right. Okay. <laughs> Here's another thing. Did you develop an unbiblical view of people? Did you develop an unbiblical view view of people? Okay. And let's have somebody look this up real fast. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And if someone would look up Galatians 6.10. Did you develop an unbiblical view of people? Okay, can somebody read that? Okay, thanks. Did you say people or God? People. Unbiblical view of people. Okay, go ahead. Uh, and Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This, your is, Go ahead. this is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Okay, that is the royal law of God. God says if you can do this, then you're going to be as perfect as you can get. You're going to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, why is this important? The very essence of God is love. Yes? Oh, 10, 10. Okay. So, thank you for that. All right. Well, we're... 10, verse 10? 
Well, you see, we're, we're blazing our way through this. I think, can we leave this in here this week and just, sure. maybe, we'll just continue it on next week. Do you not erase? Yeah, do not erase. Well, you didn't let the children come in. I know they do, yeah. Should I put in a child level here? We'll, we'll flip it later. All right, I'll just put here, do not erase. In case any adults have it. And then I'll flip it. <laughs> do not erase. Pastor Dad, one of my favorite verses that deals with bitterness is from Hebrews 12, where it mm. says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight the path for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. And then it goes on and talks yeah. about a root of bitterness. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And I just like, you know, we've been studying Hebrews in the mom's group and going over in Hebrews 4, but it's talking about Israel. And what happened to them, you know, why they didn't enter the rest is because that they were uncontent and they complained. Exactly. And I think that if we can, you know, learn really quickly to, to understand the sovereignty of God and stop ourselves from complaining, that's something that we're all guilty of. Absolutely. That then we can stop that root of bitterness from developing. Amen. So that's a, something practical that we can immediately do is check ourselves and make sure we're not oh, yeah. complaining. In fact, one of the hardest verses in the Bible is do all things without grumbling and complaining. Oh my god. <laughs> just like, man, it's so convicting. It's like, oh. You know, you can't do anything with it. It's just the way it is in the Greek. What does it mean, Paul? It means do all things without grumbling in your mind. So, um, anyway, um, all right, let me get, uh, let's see. Uh, no, I think I'm going to stop because we have like three more things to put in there and I don't want to rush it. Are you learning? Is this helpful, helpful for you guys? Okay, so we'll leave this here, and I'll pick up that side again, and then when we're done with the board, we're going to go back here and do some more things. But um, I appreciate, thank you for keeping me on track here. I should buy a watch. I have a watch. I don't know why I don't wear a watch. I should just wear a watch. Can I have one question? Yes, you may. Um, is there, uh, when it comes to counseling somebody through an innocent thing, Yes. in both cases it seems like there's um, a delicate balance or, or you have to tread careful, tread lightly, um, or intentionally. When you're trying to, in both situations, you want the person to understand that they're really not innocent in their heart and in their nature. Right. But it seems like you're not going right for that every time. In, in both cases, like that's not where you start. You eventually want to get get them there so that they can be and forgive the incident and and repent of any bitterness or whatnot. Right. But it seems like. You, you don't start there. Is that intentional? No. If you think about it, your innocent path, what are we doing? We're taking them right, right. to the Word, and the Word is always hard convicting. Right. Now, the thing is, that here, Jeremy, there may be restitution that can be made. There may be things that can be done here. So, again, like we said, we're not sticking our hand, you know, we're not just saying, oh, I have to get my heart right, and it ends there. Obviously, always we have to get the heart right, and that's why I brought that up. It always starts with the heart. Yeah. Here, 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 and here. But... In each category, we have different circumstances regarding, okay, once that happens, once we deal with that heart issue, then how do we take it from there? What are we, what are we to do? And what are the specific heart issues that I have to deal with? The heart issues I'm dealing with here may not be the same as they are here. And they're definitely not going to be the same as they are over here. So, yeah. Um, and if I didn't make that clear, then sorry about that. But it always is a heart issue. It has to start there. It's just in both situations that question can be, they can ask the question, or they can make the statement, I didn't deserve this. And well, that's yeah. actually true. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and I hear that all the time. Yeah. Well, I didn't, well, maybe you didn't deserve it. Jesus didn't deserve to die either, but he did. It's more the, the addressing of injustice. Absolutely. Because it is injustice. And you know what? Life isn't fair. God never promised. When God said they hated me, they're going to hate you. Yeah. There might be more proportionate one, but there's exactly that we're in two four squares. Yeah, for sure. All right, well thank you. Let's uh close in prayer and then we'll transition here. Well, Father, we do thank you for the counsel of your word. And Lord, we know that our pasts are a very significant part of our life. Lord, we want to learn from your word how to deal with the past, not only in examining ourselves, our own hearts, so that we're appropriating each circumstance properly, but also, Lord, then, so that we can learn how to live this out, that we may 
have the tools we need to counsel others who may be struggling with some of these very things. Lord, we know that your word is sufficient. Lord, we know that as believers we are never beyond hope. We realize that we can handle any situation life may throw at us as we cling to you, as we obey your word, as we trust you, as we bathe these things in prayer, and as we respond in word and deed, Lord, as you would have us to respond. And I just thank you for each one now in the class, and I pray that as we go into our worship service, that you indeed, Lord, would be exalted above all things, and I pray that it would be the joy of our congregation to offer worship to you in every way, and that, uh, Lord, we might enjoy the sweetness of fellowship we have with you and one another, and uh, we thank you for that and ask your blessing upon it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, you guys, for indulging me today. <laughs> now, Norm, that's funny. Now, that's funny.